1: You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show.
2: All right, welcome in. This is episode 47 of BuzzBeat Radio. Uh, Don't forget, we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network and good friends of uh, SportsChannel8.com. Make sure you're checking out SportsChannel8 for a lot of good... Really North Carolina sports coverage, but ACC basketball, which kicks up today, right, BG? Is this the first conference game of the season, Boston College? Yes,
3: Boston College-Duke. There won't be another one for a few weeks. Uh, Most of the games will start towards the uh, conference games will be end of December. But yeah, Boston College-Duke in BC today.
2: So make sure uh, you are following Sports Channel 8 for all of your ACC basketball coverage. Again, kicks up today at noon uh, with BC and Duke. Um, all right, guys. Well, we're going to dive into quite a few different topics. We're going to recap Orlando, Golden State, uh, and then we're recording this on a Saturday morning. So Chicago, the Hornets do play tonight against the Lakers. But after last night's result, uh, I would say the conversation is going to be the same right now uh, as it would be tomorrow morning, regardless of the result tonight. So uh, on that note, uh, you're probably going to hear some conversation that you heard a, you've heard. you heard a lot on the show Uh, We're going to talk about some stuff towards the end with the future of the team, what this means for Kimba, uh, a few other guys on this roster. Are they going to be around long term? Um, I think the Hornets are at a serious crossroads at this point in the season, which we have discussed a lot in the past and frankly predicted that we would be in this spot. So. All right, here we go. Um Richie, how are you? We had a little computer scare, but you got it fixed and we're back in action.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Um a little depressed from last night. Uh I went to the, actually went to the game against Chicago and it was probably the most boring game to watch. Uh and and on top of that, the weather wasn't too good either. So when I was walking out to my car, the cold and the rain just made it even more depressing. Uh <laughs> and that's just kind of how it's been with this Hornets team, but yeah, my computer had a little bit of a scare uh midweek uh it just wouldn't turn on uh but it, we got it fixed uh yesterday afternoon uh and set it up last night and it's good and running and now we can record 47 episode 47 of buzz beat so uh i'm glad it's back up and running
2: good to hear bg college basketball in full swing we talked about it a minute ago got a little snow on the ground your day uh sounds like it's shaping up just perfectly
3: yeah, I don't know how I don't know how many times I'm going to leave the house today. It's going to be, I think, uh, an inside day, you guys. A lot of a lot of a lot of basketball on the uh, television screen, but do want to say I'm glad we got Richie's computer situation figured out too. Uh, that was uh, it's good to good to have the the uh, the machine back here. So good job getting that taken care of this week, Richie. Um, we wouldn't be recording this otherwise. So it's good to good to have that.
2: Yeah, it was very, very important. It was certainly uh, a small scare, uh, but BuzzBeat, thanks to the (laughs) the experts at at the Apple Store, wherever you got it fixed, Richie, uh, we're back here for you guys, for better or worse. Um, All right, well, let's get into it. Orlando, Monday night, um, Hornets, their only win of the week to this point, again this is Saturday morning. They do play the Lakers at home tonight. Uh, they beat the magic one Oh four 94. And Richie, you said that last night against Chicago is one of the most boring games you have watched for the Hornets. I would contend that this actually might've been a, a more boring game. Uh, Kimba goes for 29, seven of 16 from the floor I don't know, really from this game, I would say Frank had had a good performance, Lamb. I mean, the bench really gave the Hornets some juice in this one, and I would say outplayed Orlando's bench, so something you definitely don't see often from Charlotte. Um, And the defense was good, and really the defense has struggled here. Uh, recently they were good against the magic, uh, Orlando chucks, 32 triples in this one only makes 10 of them shoots, not just shy of 44% from the field and Charlotte dominates on the glass in this one, uh, out rebound in Orlando, 52 to 40. Um, a lot of Dwight post-ups in the first quarter. It's what we've seen. It seems like for a month now, BG they're giving Dwight more post-ups than they were early in the season and the offense just cannot get into a rhythm early. You know, they, they're calling stuff with 20 seconds left on the shot clock. But by the time Dwight rolls down to the baseline, looks, calls for the ball, realizes, Oh, I'm not going to get the ball, gets all the way back up to set the ball screen. Now we're at 14 seconds on the shot clock and it's just like watching paint dry every time down the floor.
3: And you just trap Kemba off the pick and roll, and Dwight can't make a play in space. It's just it. You, we, this happens so much in these offensive sets, and you know, even when they do throw it to Dwight in the post, even even if you're a, a fan of that, and we think we can all probably admit that he's made some decent passes this season. It's not really like you can run offense off Dwight in the post. You know, like he's not. This isn't. This isn't. He's not even David West. He's not Nurkic. He's not. He's not. uh Jokic in Denver. You can't you can't run cutters or Al Horford in Boston. You can't run action off this guy from the post. It's just he'll just he'll just dribble, back a guy down until maybe a double comes and he'll throw to the open guy and maybe that guy gets a shot. But it's just it's not really effective offense. The ball stops moving around and everyone just stops while you hope Dwight doesn't turn the ball over, basically, which he does on twenty-seven percent of his post-up possessions, which is worse than the NBA. And yeah, he's second worst in the NBA in terms of points per possession on post-ups. It's just, it's not, it's not effective offense and uh, it's become really frustrating to watch. And yeah, he was, I mean, he was bad offensively against Orlando, 5 of 14 shooting and uh, a bunch of turnovers too.
2: Yeah. And he's had some bright spots in these past few games, you know, from an efficiency standpoint, um, which we'll talk about, but if, if Kimba's job in the offense now is to, you know, especially the early in the game. I mean Dwight had four post ups in the first quarter against Orlando. Once it goes in there it's not com- it's not coming back out. So if Kim's job is just to stand out at the three point line and be our transition defense to the highest guy on the floor, that's, uh, I don't know, that just seems like a recipe for disaster there, but we've talked about that a ton. Richie, what would you take from this game in in terms of maybe a positive for the Hornets? Let's not forget, I guess they did win this game.
1: Yeah, we did. One of of the notes that I took is uh, Cody Zeller. If you were to look at the box score, uh, you wouldn't think much about Zeller's play because he didn't really rack up the points or anything, but he was very instrumental kind of starting that fourth quarter and building a lead. We actually had an 11-point lead in the third quarter, but towards the end of it, our bench defense kind of blew that that lead, and we only led by one heading into the fourth. But Cody, it was just a pest on the offensive boards. If he wasn't getting there, he's definitely making the uh, the Orlando Magic work hard. There was a sequence in this run in the fourth quarter where we actually went on an 11-1 run, I believe, uh, where Zeller was going for a dribble handoff, but the, mm-hmm. I think it wasn't it wasn't open, so he just continued his run and dunked it. Uh, near or over uh, most spates, and then a couple possessions later, he drew a flagrant foul out of spates, and then maybe the possession after that, he blocked spates. So in a matter of a minute's time, you know, this lead that was just one point grew to a nine-point lead, mostly because of Zeller's play, and he just does all the little things for this Hornets team, and we're going to miss him... Uh, we've, we've already missed him this season because I feel like we haven't played him enough with Kimba, but we're going to miss him moving forward with this injury for all the little things that he does. And he, even there was a design play uh, for the Hornets to start the fourth quarter where there was a 5-4 uh, pick down low, which set Z- Zeller set it for Kaminsky, who came up and received the pass at the high post. And then Zeller does this thing where he like points to the opposite wing for whatever reason. I don't know if it's part of the play, but he just he does it. And I feel like the defense almost has to shift their eyes over there. And then on the other side, on the ball side, uh, there's a backdoor cut that Lamb made uh, to start that fourth quarter. And that just that just propelled everything for the Hornets in that fourth quarter. So give a lot of credit to Cody Zeller because there might not be much coming his way because uh, of that injury scare.
2: It's a great point. And You know, if you guys watch, BG, you probably noticed this, but especially with the second unit, the Hornets will run this like ball screen offense just to get the ball moving side to side. Um, And that play, that little backdoor play uh, to to lamb with Frank, usually as the distributor is a play they love to run. And it's out of that ball screen kind of, it's almost like a dribble handoff side to side offense in the NBA in college. It would be more of like a ball screen offense, but um, you know, the, the defense is always anticipating Lamb coming up from the corner, getting that dribble handoff and trying to attack the middle lamb gives him one step cuts baseline back door. And I, I can't tell you that I've seen that play run this season where it didn't work, Richie. Uh, and it, you usually see it maybe to start, uh, the second half sometimes, um, or to start you know, when Frank comes in the fourth quarter, if he's still in there uh, or out of a timeout and the Hornets have a lot of success with that play and, and lamb, you know, you get him going to the basket with, with pretty much a free lane with his length, he's going to finish very proficient at that.
3: Yeah. I, I thought in general too, I just want to throw this out there. That, that play was gorgeous. And I think they, didn't they run it? like a week or so beforehand too. I don't think at least that was definitely wasn't the first time we saw that little backdoor play from uh Kaminsky hitting, hitting, hitting Jay lamb on the, on the baseline, but did want to add to, I thought, I know Kemba didn't have a good shooting night, but he was great this game. Um, I mean, he got, he got every, he got to his spot every single time out of the pick and roll, um, which some credit certainly goes to Dwight and Cody in terms of that. And, you know, Nick Vucevic is a terrible pick and roll defender too, which helps as well. But, I, I just it was one of those games where you just think, man, I, Kemba can, can even though he's the smallest guy out there, he can, he's basically controlling the whole tempo and flow of the game. Uh, I thought it was a top to bottom all star performance from him, and if he had, it would have been a masterful showing if he had hit a few more threes too. But he was just sensational uh, in this game for the Hornets. Um, they asked him to do a lot; he totally delivered in this game against the Magic.
2: Yeah, he was he was good in this game. This was his first game back from you know, missing to, uh, you could tell he was refreshed. I mean, I actually have here in my notes in the second quarter, you know, Kimba and Dwight actually get a little bit of pick and roll, um, chemistry going. Kim was able to kind of wiggle and zigzag his way, uh, via Dwight picks towards the rim and, and create offense. And really the offense was, was moving well in the second quarter with Dwight out there. And it wasn't on Dwight post-ups. That was pretty refreshing. Uh, that was short lived, but it was nice to see Kimba get his own offense and create for other guys. On the floor and Dwight sacrifice a little bit in that way. I don't, I don't
1: really know that I have a ton else from this game. Anything we're missing? I think we touched on it all. And and the the free throw rate that we talked about, that they got to the line 40 times. And and, in a game where Kimba does struggle to shoot the ball, it was good to see him stay aggressive and get to the line. Like you said, Spencer, like 14 of his points came from the line. So if if he's not hitting his three, uh, it's good to see that he actually gets his points uh, in the free throw fashion. And uh, we actually shot the ball pretty well from the free throw line, 82%, which is uh, well above our average. So uh, not only did we get there a lot, we actually converted.
3: Thir- 13 we did. steals in that game too which also which led to some of those free throws 13 steals is a season high for the hornets this year too by the way huge
2: factor here yeah points off of turnovers the hornets got 29 of them from orlando uh the hornets actually cough it up 15 times but orlando only scores nine points off of those opportunities so you know there's a 20 point uh swing right there and then you know we go to line 40 times. Kimba's in complete attack mode, getting there 14 times, and Orlando only goes there 14 times as a team. So and I think that's that's something we should we should focus on. In go- in the Golden State game, which I guess this is a natural transition, the referees, the officials were not blowing the whistle. Kimba was not able to get to the free throw line. I thought he he did his due diligence in attacking, but I was actually I was astonished. I mean, the Hornets played terrible. I'm not making excuses by any stretch of the imagination for them, but you know, when Kimba's not it, when he's not getting those calls that he's gotten so good at getting, when he gets close to the restricted area, um, it, it's really going it, to, it's going to wear him down, which it clearly did in that game. And I actually think that that carried over into the last night against Chicago, which might've been one of his worst games of the season. And, You know, I I just, it takes a lot out of Kimba to, I mean, he's so good at it getting to the line 14 times, but I think it takes a ton out of him and, you know, coming off of, you know, two games out back against Orlando, tons of energy carries the team. And all of a sudden it looks like the guy's like on his 81st game of the season and it looks like he's gassed. So it, it, it does make you think a little bit and he's not looking for a shot last night. So, you know, this whole, Getting to the line that much and attacking that much, you, you just wonder how how often can Kimba realistically do that, right? Like how much does he have it in the tank? And and when you have a guy like Dwight Howard who will willingly take those post-ups and flush them, you know, I, I think it's easy for Kimba to, to throw it in there and, and take possessions off. Where in the past... When Zeller is just constantly setting screens for him, Kimma doesn't have that option, and the offense is moving. You know, everything keeps moving. Whether or not he's exhausted, it's still on him. But now that he has that release valve, but release valve not in a good way with Dwight. <laughs> you know, I, I think that I think that it. I mean, look, I don't want to like put it all on Dwight. That's not what I'm trying to do here. But you guys get what I'm saying. Like, mm-hmm. it's just easy to throw it down there to Dwight because he's in there constantly battling whoever's guarding him for position and that's not what zeller's doing zeller's coming up to free somebody to get somebody else open to create for the team and be an unselfish player dwight's not doing that so you can throw him the ball inside and and take a possession
3: off yeah though by the way the hornets this season second to last in the nba in passes per game only oklahoma city has thrown fewer 279 passes per game uh that's down from 303 a season ago when they were number 11 in the nba in passes per game um and yeah like a big part of that is they're asking Kemba to do a lot, and also these, the, you know, the Dwight postups. Those are probably the two biggest factors in terms of that. And Mike Conley and Kemba are the only two players in the NBA, six two or shorter, that have a usage rate above twenty five percent. Take at least three, take at least five threes per game, and attempt at least five free throws per game. They're the only two guys, and it's basically what I'm saying is, it's a huge workload to put on someone that's the size of an average human being in the NBA. It's just it's just a lot. So, yeah, you can see the residual effects wear down on Kemba, especially in games when the Hornets find themselves close in the second half, or coming back in the second half, they can't take Kemba off the court. It's amazing. Like It's like, they can't, they know as soon as they take him off the court, things are going to totally unravel, and it's just a huge responsibility for, for this guy to wear. And obviously, he's never going to complain about it, but it's a lot. It really is. It is a
2: lot. It is clearly, it clearly does take a toll on him. Um, we really saw it last night against Chicago. But let's talk about this Golden State game, a national TV game for the Hornets. Um, they, I mean, book it. They're going to suck uh, in a national TV game against a superior uh, opponent you know, which Cleveland was um, last month. And then golden state, of course, on Wednesday night, a golden state team, mind you without Steph Curry and Draymond green. So, you know, coming off the Orlando win 10 of your next 12 or whatever it is, or, or at home, this feels like, all right, they're without Steph. They're without Draymond. It feels like a little bit of an opportunity. Um, I mean, Charlotte was awful. Uh, the offense come out snails pace again, same thing we talked about in the Orlando game, dumping it down to Dwight, a ton, (sighs) It just just a really ugly start. I didn't think Golden State started uh, with their hair on fire offensively. But Charlotte could not throw it into the ocean uh, really until the second quarter when Zeller checked in. And when the the Hornets made that late surge right before halftime to get back into the game, it came off back-to-back possessions, Kimba back-to-back threes, uh, where Zeller just sprints up from the free throw line to the top of the key. Kimba gets off that drag screen. He reads the help defender. He either gives him an in-and-out dribble and gets to the rim, or if he's sagging low, he pulls up for the three. And the Hornets score going a quick burst because of that action. But really anything
1: outside of that, uh, offensively, was, was uh, non-existent in that first half. For sure, for sure. Yeah, the offense could not get going. The lack of shooting on this team is just becoming more and more evident uh, in that game, especially when you saw the first half, uh, we shot the ball. I think like 30% in the first half and 35 overall for the game. So it just goes back to last episode when I said, we just need a shooter to loosen this thing up. And and especially in this era of basketball where, you know, everyone is going to the space and and, and pace and, and is shooting. We just don't have that. And then, you know, the Golden State Warriors can be without Curry and Draymond and they're, and they're still performing at a high level. Like you said, you know, early on, it wasn't too much of, you know, the Warriors just blowing us out. It was very heavily involved with KD I think he had like 14 points in the first quarter. But I think another thing to note in this game was the turnovers. We didn't have a lot of turnovers. I think Golden State had more than we did, but that's not really surprising because they typically have a lot of turnovers. But it just felt like our turnovers were of the live ball variety. Uh, So not sure there's like a stat out there that says this. Most of our turnovers this season have been dead ball turnovers, which is... If you want to call a good turnover a good turnover, those, those are the ones that you want. But our turnovers led to twenty one or no 12 points for Golden State uh, off of those turnovers, and seven of those came in the second quarter. So you just can't turn the ball over against a team uh, that is uh, superior to you in talent, and they're, they're going to make you pay. And they're probably, I would say, like top five, top ten team when it comes to points off of turnovers in the NBA. So for, some, for whatever reason, I don't know if there's a stat out there for live ball versus dead ball, but... This game, I felt like there was more live ball turnovers.
3: I'll also say this, too. So, first off, uh, in terms of the – I know part of, one of the Clifford's big tenants. I was, th- I was thinking about this last night. One of the big deals of Clifford's teams is not turning the ball over, all that sort of stuff, playing smart, defensive rebounds. But I'm talking specifically about turnovers. And the Hornets, once again, they're number one in the NBA, fewest turnovers per game, number one in the NBA in, in turnover rate. But they're not pa- – like <laughs> – who cares is kind of my thing. Like, yeah. so what? You don't turn the ball over. You can't shoot. It's going to end up in a, in a Dwight post-up, which means free throws, which means at best you're getting one out of two. It, like, it, and again, the ball's not moving around. They're, they're, they're second to last in the NBA in passes per game. I mean, who cares if you're not turning the ball over? It doesn't not, You're just taking a bad shot at the end of the clock, you know? Like, it doesn't matter, you know?
2: And not only that, BG, but when Dwight takes one of the – when he gets one of those post-ups and he gets his man deep in and he misses that little you know bunny around the rim or wherever it is, and he's logging back behind the entire defense, it's a transition opportunity for the other team. So it's as good as a turnover when your best defender or your rim protector, I think is probably the better term to use there, is trailing the play because – you know, he just backed his man down for six seconds and missed the shot. He can't get back defensively. Now you got nobody to guard the rim, and that's where the Hornets are really getting torched
3: this year, right. especially in transition is when off those Dwight post-up misses. It's frustrating that the Hornets have to give him seven of those every freaking game just so you can get the stuff that you're actually paying him for, which is the rim protection and the rebounding. Like, that, that's, that's got to be frustrating. But back to the Golden State game, I mean, this was a just a disaster offensive performance. Um, they shoot 35% from the field, which is awful. They only make six three-pointers against the Golden State Warriors. Like, you ain't never beating Golden State. I don't care who's out for them. Not beating Golden State or really any team if you only make six three-pointers. But also, they score just 71 points per 100 possessions in the first half. Uh, it's the second worst of any first half this season. An effective field goal percentage of thirty-four percent in the first half again, second worst of any first half this season. And I, I will say this though, I, I did enjoy, you know, not not necessarily enjoy, but I did find it a bit humorous how in between Golden State's game in New Orleans where Curry gets hurt and you know Durant gets suspended, and people are like, Oh, what's going on with the Warriors? How are they gonna be able to create offense? It's like, well. They still have Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson. I wish I would love to have those sorts of problems where, oh, we only have two all NBA players to generate offense through. It's just the the grading scale we use to judge these guys is totally out of whack with the like the reality of the NBA. Like how's Golden State going to get offense without Curry? I mean, I don't know the seven foot guy that can run pick and roll and shoot from 30 feet from the hoop like he's probably not a bad option. Or how about your all-NBA two-guard that makes half of his threes? Like, I I think they'll be able to figure out offense. But, yeah, this was, uh, other than that third quarter, just a disaster offensive performance uh, for the Hornets. And, um, you know, against a good defensive team like Golden State, even without Draymond, yeah, I mean, it's just just not going to get it done. You know,
2: Richie, and then I want Richie to get in here and talk about some of his notes from this game, but I want to give Nick Batum some credit and he deserves a lot of credit. I mean, I was I'm sitting there surprised at watching this guy play. He worked so hard defensively on Klay Thompson for a better part of this game. And then he worked really hard in spots on Kevin Durant. And look, if you've listened, I am hard on Nick Batum. I, for the most part, don't really enjoy watching him play basketball. But – he really gave a great effort defensively in this game. He showed that he showed that Nick Batum that we paid for. I mean, that's effectively what he was from an effort and energy standpoint in this one. And then again, last night against Chicago, I actually think he was good defensively again. And, and then in the third quarter in this one uh, against Golden State, Batum goes four for four, makes a three, gets the foul on twice. Like He showed that, has four assists has three rebounds. I mean, he carried the Hornets in this third quarter in a quarter. They outscored golden state and got back into this game. Um, I mean, this is the Nick Batum. You know, he's not going to shoot hundred percent all the time, but this is the guy that we paid for. This is, this is the player he can be. The offense can run through him. And in a quarter that saw Cody Zeller play significant minutes, um, and really you saw things go you know go very smoothly for the Hornets offensively when he was in there, and as Batum as the initiator of the offense with Kimba kind of playing off the ball, you saw the things that you know you're supposed to see from this offense when Batum is the second banana, right, and the second creator. Um, But and we really we have not seen it all season until that quarter, so that was refreshing. And he was good defensively, like I said. So I just wanted to give Batum some credit because uh, I was pleasantly shocked
1: and surprised to see that from him. Well, it's just been too few and far between with that guy. And and, you know, since he's come back, he's not shoot the ball well. Uh, But that third quarter to piggyback off what you guys were saying, I felt like the Hornets pushed the ball at, at a higher pace that quarter. I don't know if anyone can look that up. I feel like the third quarter was a higher pace for the Hornets, and I think that. When we slow things down in the half court, we don't do as well. And I think it might be a byproduct of having Dwight Howard out there. But that third quarter, I thought we did a good job of pushing the pace and getting things going because when we lack shooting, if you slow that thing down, that that offense gets more clogged than it already is. So I I thought in the third quarter there, the note that I had, that we did a better job of pushing the pace. And do we want to talk about uh, Carter Williams' missed layups in this game? Oh, my gosh.
3: Oh, Oh my God. I mean, the one he had where it was like, what, a seven or a nine-point game? Seven. Just, you just smoke the one. I mean, you feel, by the way, Richie, I just looked this up. You were correct. Third quarter was played at the pace of a, of a game of 106 possessions, which is really fast. And mm-hmm. I the, the, the whole game on its, on its own was about 99 possessions, which is really slow for the Warriors. Obviously it's a little different when Draymond and, and Steph aren't in there pushing the pace too, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, you're right, Richie, that third quarter was played at a much faster rate than, than, than the rest of the other, uh, 36 minutes. Yeah,
2: you know, Kemba gets the you know, the Hornets are down 85-78, third quarter. Um, it was following a Kemba three. They got it to seven. Uh Warriors come down. I can't remember what that offense possession uh looked like for them, but the Hornets get a stop, get a transition opportunity. Kemba draws two defenders at least, maybe three. I don't even know how he saw MCW, but he he reaches around Maybe Iguodala's body just puts it right into the pocket of MCW, who is literally right under the basket. I mean, we're talking like Mike and drill with your right hand layup (laughs) with nobody contesting kind of attempt, and Carter Williams smokes it. And it's just – I don't know. It, it, it should <laughs> that play I think will will kind of go down in infamy for for this season like what this has been for the Hornets. I mean, I think we're going to look back on that play and be like, "Why?" I mean, like that has been this season, and not only that has it been this season for this team, but Michael Carter-Williams, which maybe we should spend a few minutes talking about. Yeah, we should. I mean, I mean, I you know, I tweeted it out the the missed layup the other night and it got a lot of traction on, on Twitter and I, I don't I don't do that to you know, to give this guy a hard time, but I mean, you know, you're in the NBA push comes to shove. Um, I feel bad for him because he gets taken out right after that play. I mean, you you have to feel bad for him. He gets Mm -hmm. taken out and he sits on the bench with a towel over his head for what looked like at least three or four possessions would not even look up. I mean, he's, you know, he's giving, he's being as hard on himself as anyone right now, I'm sure. So you got to hope that he doesn't completely bury himself because here's the reality of the situation. The Hornets are battling injuries, which we'll talk about in a minute. And Michael Carter Williams has to play. He has to play. Uh, and he's going to continue to have to give minutes for this team. So as bad as he's struggling, and I don't have the shooting numbers pulled up, they are really, really ugly. Like like uglier than Ramon Sessions' minutes early last season yeah. at backup point guard, if that's possible. So you know, you feel bad for Michael Carter Williams, but he's got to find a way to get himself over the hump here because the Hornets really need him.
3: Here's, here's, some, here's some shooting numbers on MCW. Shooting under 35% from the field inside of five feet, under 38% inside the restricted area, which is terrible. Under 16% field goal percentage in the paint, non-restricted area. So you're thinking floaters, that sort of stuff. That's terrible. Uh, 8.3 field goal percentage from the mid-range, which is a disaster. And he's 9 of 39 on field goal attempts after two or more dribbles, 23%. Um, I mean, wow. that's, that's. I mean, that is just, that's, it's really, really bad. You do feel bad. Cause you think the guy, he might be in his own head. I, and I, it felt like that layup to the, him getting pulled out of the game to the Natal over his head. It was just like, a. I don't know. It was just like a, not like an indictment on his career. And it was just like, this is, this is, it's just weird to see him go from rookie of the year to like, here he is now a backup point guard that can't make a layup in the league. And I just can't imagine that. Five years into his career, this is what MCW thought he would be doing, and he's effectively playing for his next contract too, because um, he's just on this one-year deal. And um, yeah, I felt I, I feel bad for him, but those shooting numbers are that they're terrible. So MC that's that's
2: amazing, Brian. I'm glad you pulled those up. So the Warriors come back down after the MCW miss. Ball gets slapped around for a minute. Hornets can't regain possession. Uh, Warriors score on the next possession to make it 87 to 78 and never looked back. So not that Charlotte's going to come back and win that game, but Richie, you made the point when you watched the game with your tweet the other night that that was, I mean, it's a fast break opportunity. It's a wide open layup. Like that's the momentum play that who knows what happens, right? Like if he just lays the ball in or hell, if he, he's six, five, he goes up and dunks it.
1: <laughs> um,
2: I mean, who knows what happens from there, but he took any momentum that, that, that Charlotte could have possibly had left uh, in that gym straight out in the Warriors crew to a 101 87 victory just a few other notes that I had uh, you know the, the Charlotte took care of the ball they only turned it over 12 times <laughs> BG doesn't care <laughs> they out rebound Golden State 49 to 47 now they out rebound Golden State 49 to 47. But Charlotte shot 35%, 34 for 97 from the field. Golden State shot 40 of 84. So Charlotte had 13 less opportunities to grab a rebound. Uh, And, I mean, it was was unbelievable how they actually pulled this off. Charlotte got 14 offensive rebounds. Cody Zeller had four of them. I think a lot of them really coming in that third quarter, maybe in the late second quarter too there. But Charlotte kept themselves in this game on the offensive glass. I mean, the Warriors get – outscore you 24 to seven in fast break opportunities, but then second chance points, the Hornets have 15 Golden State only gets two. So, you know, that, that's, that's like the new Clifford ball, right? Like we talked about this early in the season, the Hornets creating opportunities, especially when Dwight's in there with, you know, sending two to the offensive glass, Charlotte really did it in this game. And it, and it quite frankly, kept them in the game. That's how they made up the, the fast break discrepancy from Golden State. But those are the only other number notes I had from this one.
3: Uh, We just want to throw in there real quickly too. one of my favorite plays the Hornets have run this season came in the slate in the second quarter of this game with Cody, which was um, I think I think Kemba was bringing the ball up. Marvin cut through on the weak side and then Cody ran like he was going to set a pin down for either Batum or Lamb coming up from that corner. You know, Golden State wants to switch that and instead he slipped to the hoop. And Kemba hit him on the run, uh, on, the, on the fly for a two-handed I mean, the game was, like, already a 20-point, 18-point game at the time. But it happened so quickly. And it was like, the, where's this kind of movement yeah, yeah. and creativity yeah. been all season long? It was the perfect counter to Golden State's switch-heavy defense. And, I mean, Cody finished it with, with authority at the rim, two-hand dunk. So, uh, you just wish you could see more of that with the Hornets this year. It makes me think of the Hornets team from two seasons ago in 15-16 and, and that type of activity.
2: Well, I mean, and the reality is you, you you just can't run that style with Dwight in there. Yeah,
3: like, exactly,
2: yes. Like you just, it, it's impossible. You could send Marva, Marvin to set the ball screen instead of Dwight, but when Dwight is occupying the space in the short corner or on the block or wherever it is on the floor, uh, even if he's at the top, like his defender is still going to be in the paint waiting on that slip or whatever that quick action is. So it still doesn't – it just doesn't – the quick hitting – Non-stop moving, non-stop screening. You know, ball getting to the paint. You know, almost all the time via Kimball Walker off these clever little, you know, screens from all over the place. Ball screens from anywhere and everywhere. It, you, that system will never exist anywhere with Dwight Howard. So, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know how much more proof we need that this. There's no way for this offense to improve from here. There's no not with him in it. And no. it's not to say that he hasn't been effective. In certain areas, he has. I mean, last night, he was pretty good. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. knocking down mid-range shots now. I mean, he looked good (laughs) around the basket on the block last night. He he scores 25 points. I mean, it's not to say he's not capable of doing it. It's just to say that this is not the most efficient way for Charlotte to improve offensively as a team. And it's it's not the path to success for this team, a team that should be run by Kimball Walker. So last night, the Hornets lose to Chicago 119-111. Um, my buddy texted me this morning who lives down in Charlotte, and he says, uh, the Bulls have won four games this season. 50% of their wins have come against the Hornets, which is true. Two of the wins have come against Charlotte. So they lose to Chicago. Now they're 0-2 on the season against the Chicago Bulls team that is and 4-20 on the year and came in. So let's see here. I'm going to do some quick math. Let's see. The Bulls scored 123 on Charlotte in the first game, 119 last night. The Bulls have the worst offense in the entire NBA, and they've scored 242 points against the Hornets in two games. Is that right? It's
1: good math. It's good math.
2: Well, that's – and I'm not I'm not a math guy. Um, but anyway, the stat I was going to throw out uh, earlier about the Hornets' offensive struggles, I think this stat is a very simple one for everyone to understand and kind of points out the entire picture. Um, last night, Dwight Howard had a 27% usage rate. Highest on the team, Kimball Walker has a 21% usage rate. There is absolutely no universe where that should even – I just I, – I can't believe I, I don't know. Like, yeah. That's what that's where I start to get pissed off um, because it's inexcusable and it's it's a suicide mission. It, it's just I don't know. This is where I really believe the Hornets are just still tanking. <laughs> like, yeah. the, like you know what I mean. Like this is where I'm like I'm mad, but like maybe they're the smart ones. Maybe they're feeding Dwight. Like they're selling some jerseys since he's in town. You know, <laughs> it, it's just. You know, and they're going to get a good draft pick because they know they're drowning themselves by giving this guy that kind of usage. Um, oh. And he's got, I mean, when Kimba and Dwight are on the floor together this season, they have almost identical usage rates, which is phenomenal. I mean, so, you- it, and it's just, yeah, the, the, sorry, Richie, real quick, and then ask me, you know, ask whatever you're going to ask. But the hardest part about this is that it seems to be at the expense of Kimba Walker. And that's what that's what really gets under my skin.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, do you remember like five or six episodes ago when I said like, when they're both out on the court, it can't go through Kemba. It has to go through, through Dwight. And that, that, like you just said, that usage rate was a perfect example of last night's game uh, against Chicago, where everything was just run through Dwight. When both of them are on the court, it's just stylistically, it's just a different team out there with the Hornets. And uh, we've touched upon it enough on this episode, but Things just don't look team-oriented when those two are out there together. It just seems like it's either, okay, Kimba drives, Kimba shoots, or we feed feed Dwight. And it, it's just not creating enough space for this offense, which is poor as it is. Um, and you just can't get things going, whether it's just relying on one guy versus the other, compared to when we had Cody out there. It just seems like more players were involved.
3: No doubt. And, I mean, the other thing with Dwight, too, is we, we've talked before. When, when, he, when it's a quick post-touch, not so bad. He's shooting 70% from the field with a touchdown when like he holds the ball for less than two seconds. If he holds the ball for two to six seconds, though, that drops to 43%. So a drop of 27% in terms of field goal percentage between does he hold the ball for two seconds for three seconds or two seconds or four seconds. And that's obviously correlated with how many dribbles he has before uh, before the release, too. And, yeah, I mean, there were too many of those sort of – again, he had, a, he had a nice box score night last night. And, um, the Hornets certainly had some good lineups with him out on the court, including the starters played 33 minutes together last night, which is just, uh, it's a ton. Um, and they actually had a positive net differential, but really weren't that good overall. It was the bench that got, that got smoked, but it just, you, you know what, you know what these possessions look like with Dwight when they're not going well. And Spencer, like you said, maybe they, the Hornets are playing 4d chess out there with the, uh, the stealth tank via the, the Dwight post up, but you know, who knows? Yeah. And again, he was
2: good last night. I mean, he was great in that first quarter, but I mean, Brian, it's a great point, uh, with, you know, how long he holds the ball and it's the difference, you know, if he, if he has it for less than two seconds, it's a dunk, you know, effectively. Uh, and if he gets it from two to six, you know, it's that got to back in, back in, get back to my left hand over the right shoulder, you know, heave hook shot, you know, bank. I don't even know what to call it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, but he was good to start this game. Um, You know, he he did a lot for the Hornets' offense for for as much of for many as many opportunities as they gave him in that first quarter. Um, You know, I thought the Hornets' their transition defense in this game was mind-boggling bad. I mean, in, in Chicago, they like most bad teams you know, like Philly did when they were in full tank mode, like the Lakers like to do, um, they want to play fast. So they get the ball out and they're hitting up the floor and, and the horse just fell asleep like three or four ch- times in this game where it just turns into like a David Nwaba, like, and one opportunity <laughs> on the other end or like dunk or just something inexcusable. And a lot of these cases, it was MKG being the culprit of, of falling asleep. It, it, last night to me, was a great example this is just a team that's not focused right now. They look tired. They look, they just look deflated. And I don't know exactly what the reason for that is, other than they're just not getting the results that they want. Not to, you know, I'm not going to pin it on anybody, but last night, I mean, this is clearly, this is the worst offensive team in the league in Chicago, like easily, like not even close. They're scoring like 95 points a game or something like that coming into last night. And this is the second time in a row they have smoked Charlotte. I mean, it just too easy in the fourth quarter. They, they hit like their first 10 field goals. They were like 10 of 10 to start the fourth quarter Yeah, uh, from the floor. It's just, it's inexcusable. This is a deflated basketball team right now. And it showed up on the defensive end last night.
3: Uh, I'll also add too, Robin Lopez had 12 screen assists last night. 12. So that's the, that's screen that lead directly to a made basket. He had seven the first time that the Hornets and Bulls played a few Fridays ago, too. So that's 19 screen assists for Robin Lopez against the Hornets. You know, not trying to point too many fingers at Dwight here, but, like, a lot of that on Dwight. And I thought his pick-and-roll defense was pretty bad. was pretty bad last night, too, actually. And um, there was even one of the threes marking in hit late. It was like it was like Dwight had to be the guy that ran like Lopez was there to set a screen for whomever was going to run out and try to contest the three. And then Dwight never ran out. So Lopez was just standing there like, like a little a foot inside the three point line, ready to screen somebody. And then no, one, no, no one came to run out and contest the shot. And marketing just rose up and drained a wide open three from the top of the key. And it was like, I mean, this team is just, they're not plugged in. No one's closing out on shooters. They look tired. And that's just way too easy of a shot to give to their best shooter. Yeah. And sort of like situations is bad. And
2: Keep going, BG, but just real quickly on that play you're talking about, I don't understand like what's if Dwight's already going to sit that low, then why does Marvin need to help that much on the marketing screen? Like, so it's not that's not even all on Dwight. Like Kimma should just be locking and trailing there, getting over the top. Why is Marvin like trapping that? And then he's going to get I mean, he the, the Bulls run that simple action like probably five to eight times a game. So like, why, why is Marvin one of the smartest players on this team? Probably one of the most prepared guys on this team, not ready for that action. He knows Dwight's not going to step all the way up and help against marketing. It's just like one of those plays where you're like, where are we mentally? Like, where mm-hmm. are we?
3: No, that's, I mean that like it, I, I shouldn't pin that all on Dwight. Cause it, you're really asking him to guard two guys. You know, it's, if, if you guard that pick and roll that way with that little backside kind of flare action for marketing, it, it, Dwight has to either get out on Lopez or or Mark. It's just You're asking a lot for him to do, especially when you know that his natural position is to be just, you know, drop and be in the middle of the lane. So, yeah, that's just not – it's not effective, um, you know, ball screen defense at the top of the key there. And to your point, you know, about all those screen assists
2: with Lopez in this game, I mean, Dwight was sitting – he was sagging and dropping so far back. Um in this game that, I mean, Chicago took, let's see here, frequency-wise, 44% of their shot attempts last night came from the mid-range. I mean, and <laughs> why not? Because there wasn't anybody within mm-hmm. the 10 feet of any of these attempts. And not only is Dwight sagging low, when the guy's pulling up for the mid-range shot, when he's sagging that low, he, he can't really contest. But even when they're driving at him, Dwight's not, he, he wasn't even like lifting his arms last night. I mean, they're just staying right now. They're just staying below his hips. And you're just like, what? <laughs> what good are you? Just because you're 6'11", 7 feet doesn't mean you can just stand there with your arms down and, and be a nuisance to the guy trying to shoot it. So the Bulls take 44% of their shot attempts from the mid-range, and they hit a ridiculous 49% uh, accuracy-wise from that range. And it was just too easy. I mean, Chris Dunn. David Nwaba, like you name it. These these guys are just, they're dribbling. They're coming off the Lopez ball screen. They're just like, mm, okay. I mean, if I'm getting a wide open 15 foot shot, I do play in the NBA. I can knock this down. <laughs> yeah. It's just too, it's, it's too simple. It's way too simple. And this defense is bursting at the seams right now. I mean, with, from a schematic standpoint, like I understand the drop system, but he, Dwight cannot drop that
1: low. It's too easy. Yeah, it goes back to perimeter defense, transition defense. Uh, You know, we didn't do a good job of that, stopping the ball out in transition and keeping the guards out of the paint. Uh, You know, and with this comes unnecessary rotations. And when you throw Dwight out there, who is already so deep, uh, there's bound to be gaps in the defense. And that's a crazy stat there with the mid-range percentage there. So I just feel like our defense has not been up to par this season. I, I don't know, on paper, we might be like a top 15 team. But I just feel like there's a tons of issues schematically, whether it's perimeter defense, pick and roll coverage, et cetera, that just doesn't make this team an overall good uh, defense. And that's what we pride ourselves in, especially with the way our offensive going. We've got to make stops. And, and that defense last night was poor. And uh, I think it starts on the perimeter and some of the coverages that we have with Dwight out there.
3: Yeah, they they were about top 15, right, right around 15 before last night. I don't know where they stand now, but guys, we talked preseason. Like we thought this team had the potential to be a top five defense and for them to be a playoff team, they had to be top 10. And they're just nowhere. They're nowhere close to that in terms of the numbers and in terms of the eye test. And like you said, the offense has been an absolute slog. Uh, Charlotte gets 35 shots at the rim last night. They shoot just 16 of 35, uh, 46%, which is terrible. The Hornets are currently uh, second to last in the NBA. Only Portland is worse in terms of field goal percentage within four feet of the basket. And, you know, you've seen it play out over the last, uh, you know, the last few games. Charlotte scored just 93 points for 100 possessions over the three games this week. That includes the win against Orlando. I mean, this has just been a bad week of offense, even with Kemba Walker back in the lineup. No doubt. And, and Richie,
2: you know, to your point about the defense, I mean, we just with White in there and this drop scheme, we can't like adjust to who we're playing, like at least with Cody in there or just a, a defender at center that can step out and trap the pick and roll or be at the level of the screen or a guy that can drop. Um, We can't, we just can't adjust. So everyone comes in knowing exactly what, what they're able to do against us. And we're not going to come out of that scheme. Like we can't, so it's just the lack of versatility defensively. I, I think it just is catching up to this, this team. I mean, they just, they have to play the drop scheme because Dwight cannot slide. He cannot come to the level of the screen. He has to drop back. And that just is what it is. Whether we're playing the Warriors or the Bulls, doesn't matter. We can't come out of that. So big problem for Charlotte Kimba just, he continues to struggle shooting the basketball. He's now seven to 25 in his past five games from behind the arc. That's 28%. I mean, he gets some open looks last night. He was not interested in attacking the basket. Did he have one point in the first half last night or did he score a few late in the, in the second quarter?
1: Oh, well, we did go on a run towards the end of the second quarter. So that, that could have been, uh, that could have been him, but yeah, he, uh, he did, he did seem a little bit disinterested in this game. Um, I don't know if his shooting is a result of his injury though. Do you think that has anything to do with it?
2: Yeah, I actually thought about that this morning, Richie.
3: I don't know. Yeah, good, he did go scoreless in the first quarter, by the way, too. Yeah. yeah he scored yeah. zero.
2: I just looked it up here. So he does make a three right at the end of the second quarter. He ends the first half with four points. Uh, so a three, uh, and then one free throw, Yeah. I don't know, Richie. I think it's a good question. Um, I wonder about his health. He's wearing, he was wearing that white, like undershirt last night, which if you looked, you could tell he was wearing some kind of protection brace or something on that shoulder. Uh, my gut tells me his health is certainly not a hundred percent. And, Again, when you're talking about a guy like against Orlando, he's attacking, 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 like taking a beating, uh, and you're probably hitting that stanchion six to seven times just attacking the rim in that game. Like When you're coming off an elbow injury, or excuse me, a, a shoulder injury, like that's going to take its toll, you know, and I, I, I'm sure that has something to do with why he's not attacking. I mean, that first half last night, there's just no excuse for Kimball Walker other than if he's hurt, you know, to take four shot attempts. Look, in the first half last night, Kimball Walker takes four shot attempts. Batum takes eight in the first half. Dwight takes nine. Marvin Williams takes eight. Hell, Michael K. Gilchrist takes four. So, like, if Kimba's taking the least amount of field goal attempts of anybody in the starting unit, that has got to be, there's got to be a reason for that. And I think you're right, Rich. I mean, I think you could be right. He could be you know, he, he could be battling some some mental demons um, and saying, I'm just not willing to put my body on the line right now. Or he may just not be 100%. So, and if that's the case and the Hornets have to sit Kimba for another amount of time, I mean, who knows where this all goes. But
3: it was an ugly one. Terrible loss. The Bulls are a terrible team. And to to, to lose to those guys for the second time this season, it's just it, it's inexcusable. Especially for a team that came in with playoff aspirations. It's just you can't. Can't do it. And by the, oh, we'll add another bad three-point shooting game for the Hornets. Um, and this continues to be one of the probably five worst three-point shooting offenses um, in the NBA. I mean, they're bottom five in attempts per game, attempt rate, three-point percentage, three-point makes. Uh, I mean, outside of Kemba and Marvin, they're just getting literally nothing from anybody else in terms of makes from out there. And like Richie, you said this earlier. Like they need they need they need a shooter. They need shooters. You know, and um, it's just it's just not. This is not the offense we saw two years ago. That was a top 10 three point shooting offense. They've really fallen off uh, since then. They have. Um, Actually,
2: add one more note. So, Kimba, Batum, Marvin, and Dwight Howard. And granted, this game did go into overtime last night, but they all played 40 plus minutes. Mm -hmm. So, with Frank out now, with Zeller, who's going to miss significant time, if not the season, uh, out, like this is good. I mean, if the Hornets. Want to keep kicking the rock down the road with trying to win games, you know, and competing. You know, these. I mean, Marvin has to almost play 40 minutes now. I mean, we have like no power forwards left, you know what I mean? So, Kimbo's gonna have to play these minutes, Batum has to, uh, even Dwight <laughs> for that matter. We don't have any centers right now, yeah. so you know, it's just it's bad. And you know, the first game, minus you know, Zeller. Uh, and Frank and all four of these guys play forty minutes. That, that's not a good sign for the Hornets. So They'll be worn out before the All Star break gets here at that rate.
3: Uh, just one one more thing here too. So I know I know this team is lacking in depth a little bit last night, but Silas does go with one of the reserve units. He plays them five minutes. All five bench guys, and they mm-hmm. get absolutely destroyed. Dwayne Bacon, Carter Williams, Graham, Malik Monk, and Johnny O'Brien at the five. That team plays five minutes. Chicago scores better than 1.6 points per possession with them on the court. That Hornets team scores less than 0.7 points for one in possession. That's a net rating of minus 95 in five minutes of play. That's the lineup that lost the game for them last night. You know, I mean, all the, there was plenty of end to end action at the end, but like, it's that bench unit without Kemba. And playing all five bench guys that just it just they just cratered against the Bulls last night.
1: Yeah, it felt like he did wholesale changes for whatever reason. He, there wasn't a lot of staggering, and I know that we're lacking in depth right now with those injuries. But uh, yeah, it just seemed like starters on, starters off, starters on, starters off. It just felt like that was the case uh, in last night's game against the Chicago Bulls. But I will say one player from the bench unit that has impressed me over the past couple of games has been Travion Graham, and he's a player that I think that. Kind of fits the mold of a 3-and-D type of player. I thought he played solid defense uh, for the past couple of games, and he actually hit hit his threes last night against the Bulls.
2: Yeah, Graham was good. He gave the Hornets some good minutes. He's been good in these past few games since he's been back in the lineup. But, yeah, and, and look, Jeremy Lamb does not return to the second half last night. He has what the team is calling a shin contusion. doesn't seem like anything that would be too serious moving forward. But, I mean, after that injury, the Hornets are down to 10 healthy bodies. Well, 11 if you're counting Matthew Yang, uh, who was called up. Uh, I guess the day before yesterday, but they're down to 10 healthy bodies. So yeah. Yeah. To your point, Brian, I mean, (laughs) you're down to 10 healthy bodies. Five of those are your starters. You're just going to go cold Turkey and, and give the second unit, uh, those pure minutes all together. That's, that's risky. I mean, especially when you're already going to play four of the five of your starters, 40 plus minutes. Anyway, it's just, just, I mean, I don't come on, Steven, just, just have one starter in there with him I mean, it's ridiculous but I, you know i did take note monk did get the minutes and graham so monk and graham with the second you do get those first minutes off the bench bacon not in there first so we'll see if that's a reoccurring theme where monks in there with that second unit uh to end the first quarter going into the second <clears throat> instead of bacon that might be a, a steven salas fold that we didn't see with steve clifford monk get more minutes